into it, there are different reasons for tuning into it. As has been mentioned, uh, there's, as Peter said, there's the gathering together just for fun and, and food. And that's one of the big things that happens is, is that there's actually uh, people that uh, track how much food is consumed on Super Bowl Sunday. How many, uh, you know, wings are ordered and how many pizzas ordered. And, and maybe that's your thing. You just show up for the food. Uh, for some people, it's all about the commercials. You know, you just, you just, it's not about the football action, but it's about the commercials that are going on. And they even rate, you know, the football, uh, Super Bowl commercials from years gone by, and what's the best one, what's the worst one, and all of that. And then, for some people, it's all about the music. It's the halftime show, and who happens to be performing, and what music's going on. So you, you'll be clued out, except when, when the halftime show is on, it's everybody be quiet, you know, i got to watch the, the performance. For some people, it actually, you know, surprisingly, it actually is about football. Now, my team, my team, Green Bay Packers, didn't make it. So, for a while, you know, football was dead to me there. But now, I, I started to come back. And, uh, and then there's, you know, there's, uh, there's the 49ers and the Ravens. How many, how many are Ravens fans? Because I know this is a little bit ways from there. One, two, three. Is that it? Four. Five. Okay. Six. They're coming up. They're a little bit cautious, those Ravens fans. Not wanting to commit themselves. And how many 49er fans? This is more Niner territory. So, anyways, it's kind of a kind of a national event here, kind of a, a national holiday. And, but it is funny, the different entry points and different things that it means, Super Bowl Sunday to different people. Uh, we're in a series, Recovery Road. Our title today is Declaration of Dependence. And you know, Declaration of Independence is also a very American concept. And the whole American value of being independent, standing on your own, standing up for your rights, that's, a, that's an American value. But we're talking here today about a declaration of dependence. More about that, but, but as we think about the whole idea of, of recovery, see if I can get this right here. Here we go. Okay. We have some introductory questions to just uh, work with here for, for a little bit on the, the topic and the subject of recovery. Because that, that is a, it, it's a, it's a powerful word, and, and it describes different times in our lives, different seasons that we go through. There's, uh, you know, there's recovery from uh, surgery, or recovery from a physical illness. My mom is going to be 80 in March, and she's just recovering from knee surgery. And a lot of people her age don't necessarily even opt for that, but she opted for it because she wants to stay mobile at her age. But they're taking her through this very scheduled, step-by-step process of recovery from the surgery. The surgery itself was really just one part of the whole process of getting back to optimum health and vitality. And so the recovery phase that she's in, stepping through with physical therapy and do this at this stage and then this at that stage, it's a, it's a process. And some of us can relate to recovering with some physical challenge or some physical illness. There's also recovery from grief or recovery from loss. Sooner or later, every one of our lives 
uh, intersects with sadness and with loss and with grief. And when that happens, it leaves us in a different place than we started prior to the contact, prior to the moment of loss. And so when that occurs, after we've, we've uh, taken the effect of that loss in our lives, then, then there's, there's a time to recover. If, if, we're, if we're healthy with it, we'll actually tune into that. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And some of us, especially, I think we guys, we tend to not want to even go there and think about it. We just want to plow on ahead with life. But there's wisdom in a period of Mourning in a period of recovery, in a period of tuning in to whatever that loss might have been in our lives. For some of us, uh, recovery has to do with certain things that we've gotten trapped in. Addictions. It could be substance abuse. It could be having been trapped by some kind of behavior that was destructive. Destructive for us, destructive for our loved one. We, we, we live in an era where uh, addiction to pornography is a huge challenge. So there's, there's alcohol and drugs, but there's also other kinds of substances that people can get trapped by and then have a realization that where I'm at in my life is not a good place to be. I don't like being trapped. I don't like being dominated and controlled by this harmful situation. And so I'm going to enter into, I'm going to acknowledge this, and I'm going to enter into a, a, a time of recovery to get to a better place than I'm at right now. So, so that might be something that's, that's relevant. But there's also something a, a little bit, it, it's a, sometimes more, more hard to define. It's a softer topic, but it has uh, the promise of incredible reward in our life, and that's a recovery of dreams, and recovery of hope, and recovery of faith, and a recovery of a sense of God is up to something good in my life. And if I'll be open to Him, and open to His will, open up again maybe, maybe I had at one time, or, or maybe maybe not, but I heard about being open to the will of God. Maybe, maybe you're somebody that's never quite really crossed that line yet, but, but you've heard about it. But, but the idea of recovering a sense of faith, a sense of hope, a sense of openness to what God might want to do in your life. That's, a, that's another idea of, of recovery. Yeah. So it's a, it's a question mark of, of what might recovery mean to you. And maybe that still none of that relates to your life is awesome, where it is. You can't imagine it going better, and so the concept of recovery is lost on you. If that's the case, you can take the rest of the, the morning off. All right? You can just coast the rest of the way and, and maybe pray for the people around you who might more be in need of this topic. Yeah. But one of the other big questions while we're asking questions... One of the other huge questions that we almost automatically ask ourselves is why? When we're in a place that's not where we have wanted to be, and in one of those possible scenarios that you may have gone through in your life that puts you other than where you want to be, it's common for us to ask why? 
Why am I going through this? Why does this have to be so painful? Why does this have to be so hard? Why does it have to hurt so much? Why am I here and not there where I want to be? That's a question that that just kind of can come automatically. And maybe you've found yourself asking that. It could have been just as simple as, you know, why you were in the traffic accident that you were in. Or why the bill came due at the time that it came in. Or why this particular situation in a relationship is going the way it is. It could be something as simple as that. Or it could involve something bigger going on in our life that begs the question, why? And, you know, the Bible has a lot to say about the great questions of life. Yeah. And it speaks, it speaks to this one. And there's a, a situation in the book of 2 Corinthians which was, you know, in a series, there was 1 Corinthians and then 2 Corinthians, written as letters by the Apostle Paul to a group of people that lived in the city of Corinth, hence the name Corinthians. And he's writing to them, and he's talking about something that he went through. That was one of those very painful, very difficult situations in life, and where the, the question begged, why? Why is this happening to me? And, and maybe you can relate to him. He says, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. So he was talking about a particular time and a particular place. And sometimes our hurts and our difficulties, they relate to time and they relate to place. Are there any geographical places that you look back on in your life and you say, wow, that was a hard time. Yeah. That was a difficult yeah. place. That was painful. Or, or I, I don't really want to go back there because there's associations that I have with that. Right. That's the kind of situation he's talking about yeah. here. There was a, a time and a place where he went through some things that he called hardship and then he suffered through. Mm. So this is what, this is what he's, he's writing about and he's talking about. He says, we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. So that, I mean, how far beyond, how difficult, how great was the pressure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. Now there's some really powerful language there, where, where he's talking about what it felt like to go through this season that he was in there, in the province of Asia, as he describes it. Great pressure. Far beyond. I mean, there's there's... Problems that you have in life that you know you're going to get through. You see it. I get this. I've done this before. I can handle this. There's problems like that. And then there's problems on a whole different level. Right. And maybe they're on a whole different level because they're recurring. They keep coming back again and again and again. And that's why they're tough. Or maybe it's, it's not about that. It's because of being blindsided by it. And it's the hugeness of it. It's the size of it and the force of it and the immediate surprise impact of it. Sometimes it's that. But he's describing a situation that, that was, it was just beyond what he could handle. And the best word that he could use to describe it was he despaired. 
Ever wake up in the middle of the night with that feeling of despair, that aching, gnawing, nagging, empty feeling? That's what he's describing. So what, what he's talking about is, I mean, that's pretty far out there on the outer edge. That's not the kind of thing that maybe is the normal difficulty of life. But if we could, if we could deal with that on a big scale like that, on a deep and painful scale like that, if, if we have an answer for that, then maybe some of the other more day-to-day stuff that we deal with can, can find their answer in their place. And he really does speak to the question, why? Why did this happen? This happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. There it is. If you'll have it, if you'll be open to it, the reason is so that we'll transfer some of our self-reliance and our independence away from confidence in ourselves and put it on and toward our relationship with God and a reliance and a confidence on Him. Now the question why, why am I in this situation? Let's talk about that car accident. Well, why is because I was talking on my cell phone and I ran through the intersection or I didn't observe, you know, the right things going on around me and it occurred then, you know. Or the reason I'm sick is because, you know, I, I, I didn't wash my hands and I picked up some germ that was floating around out there, and I got sick. I mean, there's the why that it happens. You know, I'm, I'm in financial challenges because I overspent or because I, I didn't make uh, wise investments. Or, or, you know, there's, the, there's the why that's just kind of the math problem. Right. One plus one equals 563 <laughs> or, or whatever you might be trying to figure out. There's the, that why, but this is more talking on a spiritual plane. There's a, there's a spiritual thing going on in our lives if, if we're open to it. We're not just flesh and blood. That there's another dimension to our lives that is involving our spiritual life. And there's something else. There's an agenda and there's a plan and there's a work going on there. And he's speaking to that, the why. The why is so that we'll be transferring from the self-reliance to a reliance on God. In terms of recovery, there's, there's a lot of great and very helpful information out there. And none better than what Alcoholics Anonymous has come up with. And their 12-step originally directed to people who had uh, problems and destructive behavior associated with the use of alcohol in their lives. But then it's been parlayed into application for drugs and application for sexual addiction and other things like that. But I just want to take you through their first three steps. And the first one is this. We admitted we were powerless over alcohol that our lives had become unmanageable. Now that's a powerful statement because it talks about a level of honesty. We admitted it. We owned it. We got honest about it. We admitted And then it names the substance alcohol. That's a powerful thing to do. To name whatever the situation is. Pornography. To name the situation spending. It's the credit card. It's overspending. To name the situation. It's it's bitterness. It's a lack of forgiveness. 
to name it, to be able to so tune into it and identify it that you can actually name it. And then to connect the dots. Life had become unmanageable. It's, it was the alcohol, not my spouse. It was the overspending, not the government. It was something in my choices and my decisions and the result of those that now puts me in this situation where my life is unmanageable. Strong language and strong description. But it can speak to even, even a level of degree of honesty, even to the point where you could say, I'm not living my best life. I'm not living life abundantly. I'm not living life where it could be. You know, if, if it's even the idea of dreaming again, it might be your recovery. The next step is this. Came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Now that's really cool, because number one, it talks about faith. Came to believe. We have been given, we've been created by our Creator with the capacity to believe. The capacity to express faith. The capacity that, that's, that's, that's really almost indescribable, defies language, to reach outside of ourselves into the what can't be seen and can't be felt and can't be touched and, and, and interact with that. We came to believe that a power greater than ourselves. Now that's quite a statement. You know, and that's not your typical human, typical American approaches. There's actually a power greater than me. There's something more important. There's something other than me. Isn't it all about me? Am I not the center of the universe? No, no, no. A power greater than me. And again, back to the honesty, when a person reaches the point where they can say, hey, I've tried, and what I've tried hasn't gotten the job done. I've been at this. I've given my best thing to it, and the fact is, what I'm doing and what I've tried has not worked. And so the openness and the honesty and the vulnerability and the willingness to consider, I might need help to get me restored to a better place, to help me recover a power greater than me, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood Him. There's power in a decision, a point in time decision. We're not just kind of floating around, well, we'll see, we'll see kind of what comes. We'll, we'll, we'll work with this I'm kind of day by day on this. No, there's a, there's a point in time where a decision is made. Yeah. I was this, now I'm this. I did it this way, now it's going to be this. Made a decision. And then there's a surrendering. There's a declaration of dependence upon Almighty God. Turn our will and our lives over to His care. And then this last phrase, and you know, for a lot of years, I really, I took major issue with that as, as a Christian, as we understood Him. Well, what are we talking about there? You know? But, but in reality, that's all any of us really has at this moment. It's your understanding of God, 
not my understanding of God that's going to be operative in your life. Right. Now, we believe, from our vantage point, that the way to understand God is through His Word. That God has revealed Himself through His Scriptures, through His Holy Bible. And by reading that, and by humbly approaching that, and prayerfully considering what is written about God and how God describes Himself in the pages of Scripture, we're, we're going to understand Him the way He wants to be understood and not make a, an idol in my own image, not create something that's just, you know, feel good for me. That's important. But still, it's going to come down to my understanding of God, your understanding of God, that's going to be the only powerful thing in your life. All of this is just a describing, and it can be applied to any situation, however big it might be, however, however captivated you might be by it, enslaved you might be, to even some of the smaller issues in our life where we just, we just cycle through this process to get to the point where we're, we're declaring our dependence and our need for, mm-hmm. and our surrender to God in our lives. 2 Corinthians 12, fast-forwarding in this letter, and to another insight into the Apostle Paul who wrote this in his life, he says this, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations that were given me. Now let's just stop there for a moment. Keep me from becoming conceited. Who cares? So he's conceited. So he's got some issues on a heart level in his life. Well, who cares? God cares. We have our agenda, which oftentimes has to do with very earthly, very here and now things. God has a bigger perspective, actually an eternal one. And God is working on things in our lives now that have eternal consequences. He's not just thinking about this week, this month, even this year, but he's thinking about our soul and the process of of our soul being transformed and what we'll have into eternity. And so God sometimes orchestrates situations in our lives Because he has some work that he wants to do on our characters. I mean, conceit may be something that would be really surface, or maybe something that could be totally hidden. Nobody could know, but you know. And maybe maybe your spouse knows, and maybe maybe somebody close to you might might know. But we're talking about what might be what might be unseen to people, but is really seen by God. And, and deep down, if we're honest, known to ourselves. Yeah. And sometimes when we're talking about recovering, we're really talking about nooks and crannies and areas of our heart and our lives that have not yet been transformed into what they could be, which, which we, from a Christian point of view, is transformed into the likeness of Jesus. Not yet. Not quite like Him yet. And so God's addressing this. So to keep Him, from becoming conceited, because of the surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh. Interesting language. Given, this is a gift, a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan 
to torment me. He's describing this. Again, powerful language. Maybe we can relate to something that's shown up in our lives. And it torments us. It, it dogs our steps. It, it reveals uh, things about us that we don't want to see, that we don't like. And we would just be happy if we could wave a magic wand and it would just be gone. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully we're not thinking about our spouse at this point. Hopefully <laughs> we're not thinking about some person, but we're, we're, we're drawn back to, you know, our character, something yeah. in here, right? Listen to this. Three times I pleaded. Get the passion of the prayer here. I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Let's talk again about recovery. Let's just take another look at recovery and maybe turn it on its ear for a moment. This is the kind of recovery I want is the kind he's describing. Lord, take it away. Get me out of this situation. Get me back to where I want to be and where, where, where I think you want me to be. And that's it. I want to be done with it. Yeah, maybe there's, there's a brokenness in my life. I want it fixed. And I don't want to ever be broken again. How about you? Yeah, I've, I've had a failure. And I've got to recover from it. I want to recover, and then I never want to fail again. But what he's describing here is God's answer that's different than that. That he actually leaves the situation, or he leaves the weakness, or he leaves the challenge, and thereby hearkening back to that reason why, so that you'll depend on God and not on yourself. That's the reason why. So that we'll learn that His grace is sufficient for us and His power is made perfect in weakness. It's again a declaration of dependence. You have yours, I have mine. What is it for you? I deal with this this sense of unworthiness. It doesn't matter what I accomplish. I deal with this sense of inadequacy and this sense of insecurity. I wake up in the middle of the night and it's there. It doesn't matter what victory or what blessing or what thing God might have done in my life. The next morning, it's there. Through the highs, through the lows, it's there. You have your situation. It could be a substance it could just be a point of view. It just could be something that, that, that's, a, that's on an emotional level or an interactive level. Right. But we all have things in our life that we would beg God to just take away. And that would be recovery for us. Recovery would be no more issues, no more dealing with that. And yet God says to us, no, I'm going to leave that there because recovery for you is going to be day to day. It's going to be one day at a time, and it's going to be just for today, dealing with this situation by coming to Him. And without it, without the stuff in my life, I may not go to Him. Probably wouldn't go to Him. I'd be self-reliant. I'd be self-sufficient. So I wake up, and my thing is there, and you've got your thing that's there, so that we'll return yet again to God. And we'll enjoy that amazing place with Him that isn't about my performance, it isn't about what I've achieved, 
I'm never going to achieve enough to take this away. But in the midst of that, and even in the midst of my failings, to know His love, His acceptance, His forgiveness. Amen. So Paul's response when he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore... Now here's a declaration of dependence. Here's what it sounds like. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, hardships, persecutions, difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Now I'll tell you, I, I'm not there. Delighting in my weaknesses? Wow. I'm not there. But it does give me a direction. Yeah. And it gives me the goal of, of some of what God is wanting to do and accomplish in my life. Yeah. And it's, it's counterintuitive. It's, it's certainly against the American way. And it's against how most of us are designed to think that actually by not hiding my weaknesses, but talking about them, yeah. opening up about them instead of trying to convince you they're not there, that in actually being... Being open and real and honest and accepting, that's where the real victory is. And that's where the real recovery is. Let's go back to, well first let's, let's make this point. Recovery begins with the declaration of dependence on God. Yeah. We've talked about some ways that's done, but, but one, one final look at this. Back in 2 Corinthians 1, when he's talking about they, he, they were in that, that place and he was at that point where, where he despaired of life, but he understood that that happened so that he would rely on God and not on himself. This happened, that we not, might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raised the dead. He's delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him we've set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Here's one specific, actionable, doable, next best step that you can take. And it's this right here. Prayer. One really good way to not just declare dependence, but demonstrate it, is to pray. And what's really, really powerful about his description there is the taking it even a step further and depending on the prayers of others. Asking others for prayer. Start, start just, just with your own prayer. Just getting on your knees or, or taking a walk in a park or, 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 or sitting in your car or somewhere and just saying, God, I need your help. This has gotten out of control. And this situation in my life, it's, it's unmanageable. Yeah. This is not where I want to be. And I've tried my way and it's not working. Please help me. I need your help with this. It's a simple prayer like that. And if you want to take a step further, you, you pull somebody aside and you say, could you, could you pray for me? Could you pray with me? Here's, here's what my situation is. Here's, here's what I'm struggling with. I haven't told anybody this. But I want to tell you because I trust that you'll pray for me with this. And you ask for prayer. Back to the Super Bowl and we'll be done. You know, there's different storylines. But one of the the really amazing ones is the Harbaugh family. 
Yes. And you, you may be following this, but there's two brothers that are coaching. <laughs> Jim Harbaugh and John Harbaugh. John Harbaugh coaches the Ravens. Jim Harbaugh, the 49ers. And they're coaching against each other. Yeah. Now, one other amazing family thing. Last night, Indiana basketball beat Michigan. The sister is married to the Indiana basketball coach. And probably Monday morning when the polls come out, Indiana will be number one in college basketball. So it's kind of amazing. You know, think about it. This one weekend and this, this, this one family. And, you know, my lens, it obviously goes to, automatically goes to, wow, what kind of parents? What's going on in a home like that? Because, I mean, it'd be amazing to have one son, but to have two sons coaching in the Super Bowl, that, that's really quite something. And, um, you know, the background to this is the dad, he coached for like 43 years. Uh, in uh, different levels, uh, high school, college, t- 10 different schools. And so they obviously, they follow their dad's example just by way of, you know, some things are just better caught than taught. Just, just yeah. growing up in a home like that and following, they wanted, they wanted to be where their dad was. That, that's, that's kind of interesting. But there's more to it than that. And one of them, he says, because uh, they moved around a lot from city to city to city and and he says, oh, uh, no one would fight more for us than our mom, no matter what the situation was. Or teach us, really, how to have each other's back. How to be there for one another. Whether it was a little scrape in the neighborhood or something like that, she, she basically made it very clear that we were to have each other's back no matter what. That was our mom. So that's kind of interesting. The climate, it gives you something of the idea of the, the climate that this, that this family had and the sense of looking out for each other, as he put it in his words, have each other's back. Yeah. And then one other thing that you see, that same spirit coming out in another interview they had, which they gave, which they were talking about, okay, so you've got two sons, and it's Super Bowl, and what, what, what's going to be on your mind? What are you going to be doing? And uh, the dad, by the way, the dad's name is Jack, the mom's name Jackie, uh, John, Jim, and uh, 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 let's see, what's her name? Uh, Joni. John, Jim, Joni. So I guess you're a really good parent if you name your kids Jay. Jane, Juliana. Wow. You guys are amazing. Here's what, here's what Jack, the dad, says. The one thing I do think about is after the game. It's going, there's going to be a winner, and there's going to be one that is going to be totally disappointed. My thoughts go to that one. The one that will not experience the thrill of victory. That's where our thoughts will be. And then it describes a situation where on Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving Day a year ago, they actually played each other, and John's team won. I don't know if that's a, a preview of today or not, but uh, uh, they won. Well... Uh, we all experienced the excitement of victory, guys jumping up and down, a smile on John's face. They were just ecstatic. Then you realize that's not where you're needed. You walk across the hall, and you go to the 49ers locker room, and you walk around, and you saw the players, and you look in their eyes, and, and them not being successful that day, and coming up short, and we opened up a couple of doors, and we finally saw Jim, all by himself in a room, just a table and a chair. He was, he was still in his coaching outfit, his head was down, 
and you looked into you look into his eyes and you realize that this was where you needed to be as a parent. Our thoughts will be on the one that comes up short, comes up a little short. That's amazing because you know you could think, wow, in this family, it's all about the winner. It's winning, winning at all costs. We celebrate winning here. That's how they achieve this type. No, actually, their hearts go out to the one that that is is a little off today. And that absolutely is the heart of God to all of us today. His heart goes out to the one that's maybe hurting a little bit off, and then He wants us to to get each other's back. And so pray, and then. And then pray for each other in this process of recovery.